The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of His name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He is the only shelter From the coming storm
Genesis, the second chapter. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, Thou shalt not eat? This was the first great lie. This great lie brought into the world every wicked thing. Brought into the world all that we hate, all that we abhor today. Violence, lies, immorality, murder. The flood doors were opened, and evil took over the earth. That was the first great lie. There is a second great lie. It is the same lie that was told in the Garden of Eden. It's very difficult to know whether you've been deceived or not. How can you know that you've been deceived when you're deceived? It's hard to know. To be deceived means you don't know that you've been deceived. You have taken lies as truth. And Eve and Adam took the word of the serpent against the word of God. And they were deceived. Now in the book of Matthew, in the 24th chapter, I'll begin reading for you at verse 4. Of course, the context is where Jesus begins to speak to them about the final days on earth and his coming in the clouds of glory. Verse 4 Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive thee. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. The first thing Jesus speaks about when he begins to address the last ages of earth's history is deception. The first great lie was, you can eat the fruit of that tree. God is not going to take your life. You will not surely die. You will live. The last great lie is that you will not die. 
you will live. So the theology, the scriptures have been twisted, even as the devil tried to twist the word of God. And then the great temptations of Jesus, where he quoted scripture to Jesus to convince Jesus to bow down and worship him. So it is at the end of time that we live in a time unlike any time in history when every lie is flowing forth. Our government lies. Our television lies. Our media is filled with lies. The church is filled with lies. Deception is on every hand. And the deception today in the church is the same as it was in the Garden of Eden. You will not surely die. God has unconditional love for you. Your eternal security, past, present, and future sins, all covered by Jesus on the cross. You're on your way to heaven. You will not die. I have been increasingly concerned about the question of sin. First, in my own life, I could barely sleep last night. I kept waking, crying out to God about my own sin, the wickedness that I have walked in. Now the Lord has said to me, all of your past sins are forgiven. And I am so grateful for that word. But it does not mean that I can be casual about sin. Many years ago, as my father was dying, I had visited the first part of the week and then had returned to Washington. He was in Pennsylvania, Sharon, Pennsylvania, Greenville, Pennsylvania. Dad was in the hospital. And every time the nurses would come into his room, they would find him on his knees. And he was praying. He was crying out to God. And they would hustle him back into bed and say, Mr. Greenlee, you have to stay in bed. They would leave the room and he would get out of bed and get on his knees again. Why? Because in those last days of his life and the last hours of his life, this man who was more godly than any man I've ever known, had only one great concern in his heart. And that was his sin. He wanted to be certain that his house was in order. He wanted to make certain that he was prepared to meet Jesus. And he knew that there was only one thing that could stand between between him and Jesus, and that was sin. And so he would cry out to the Lord about that sin. Now he had repented of everything he knew. He lived a godly life. But he was still very concerned about sin. I'm going to be very frank with you today. I have been much, much too casual about sin. In my teaching and in my living, sin has risen up before my face, the sin of the church, the sin of my friends, and my own heart.
I don't have words to express to you how serious the sin issue is. So I'm going to share with you words of Scripture. You know that in the New Testament, the chapter headings were added much later. The punctuation was added later, not by the author of that book. And so we come to the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul writing in the sixth chapter where he talks about being crucified with Christ. He addresses the question of dying to our sin, of walking clean by the blood of Jesus. He addresses the issue in the sixth chapter of the old man of sin has been destroyed. In the Greek, it's not pushed down, it's not uh, repressed. It is, the Greek word is to destroy to totally destroy. And then we come to the last verse of chapter 6 and recognize that it is connected directly to the first verse of chapter 7. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of grace from God is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you did not hear yesterday's broadcast, go back and listen. For grace, according to the book of Titus and the writings of Apostle Paul, grace is never a covering blanket of our sin. It doesn't hide our sin. It instead removes our sin. The word in the Greek for forgive is literally to remove. You cannot forgive sin if you do not remove sin. So if you say, I have repented of this sin, but you continue to walk in it, you have not yet been forgiven. Do you understand? For sin to be forgiven, it must be removed from your life. If it still resides in your life, you have not been forgiven. To forgive is to remove. Now he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of grace from God is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Titus says that gift of grace is a supernatural work of God in our hearts to remove our sin, to forgive our sin. Now notice the first verse of chapter 7, and they are connected. The last verse of Romans, the sixth chapter, and the first verses of chapter 7 cannot be separated. So let me read them that way. Lord, I just need to stop a minute. Say, Lord, I can't address this issue without raising much defensiveness. And I pray, Lord, that this word will go right past any defensiveness that anyone may have, that they will forget about being right and let you, Jesus, be right. For you are the truth. There is no truth outside of you, Jesus. You said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Lord, I want the way, I want the truth, and I want the life. I do not want to be deceived. I want to walk in holiness. I want you to destroy the works of the devil once and for all, totally and completely, in my life and in the life of every listener. Lord, thank you. Lord, come with power. Come deal with our hearts, Lord. We've not been serious about this sin issue, Jesus. We've blown it off and said, oh, I'm saved. I'm on my way. I'm a good guy. Uh, Lord, 
deal with this issue in all of our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So Romans 6, verse 23, and Romans 7, verse 1. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of grace from God is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or are you ignorant, brethren? For I'm speaking to men that know the law, that the law lords it over the man for so long a time as he lives. Now let's be very clear. As long as a man lives in his flesh, that is, as long as a man lives with the old man of sin alive in his body, he is under the law. And the law condemns us to die. Because the wages of sin is death. So, every one of us who continues to walk with the old man of sin may be repressed, may be pushed away, maybe, but still alive and rises up and captures our heart. As long as that condition exists in your life, the law condemns you. Now, you may say, I'm not under the law, Pastor. What makes you think you're not under the law? Have you died? Are you born again in Jesus Christ and no longer walk in any wickedness? You are clean? Don't tell me, oh, Pastor, I'm working on it. I can't tell you how many times I have, even in the grocery store, begun to talk with people in line, and I've said to them, are you a Christian? Oh, yes. Are there issues in your life that separate you from Jesus? Almost always they will answer, Yes, but I'm working on it. It's a work in progress. No, you're under the law. You're condemned. You're not saved yet. Now, I'm not talking about maturity. I'm addressing the issue of rebellion against what the Holy Spirit has said to you, and you have refused to surrender, and you continue to walk in that way of darkness. That's sin. Sin is a voluntary lawlessness against the Most High God. As long as that is present in your life, you are under law. And you are condemned to die. Notice verse 2. Now the married woman has been bound by law to the living husband. But if the husband may die, she's been released from the law of the husband. So then the husband being alive, she will be called an adulteress if she may become married to a different husband. But if the husband may die, she is free from the law. She's not an adulteress, having become married to a different husband. Therefore, my brother, you were also put to death to the law by means of the body of Christ, with the results that you became married to a different husband, to the one having been raised out from among the dead, so that we may bear fruit to God. For when we used to be in the flesh, the passions of our sins through the law used to be at work in our members, with the result that we bore fruit to death. But now we were delivered from the law, having died to that which we used to be bound, with reference to us to serve God in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And that word newness literally means in the Greek, never existed before, something brand new. Now I know, 
as I address this issue, that many of you have tried very hard to live a godly life. And, frankly, you have made some progress in getting rid of the grosser sins in your heart. You may have stopped drugs. You may have stopped fornication. You may have stopped a number of different things that that you know are not acceptable to Jesus. But my question is, have you died? And have you been born from above? Now, the lies of our age are so dominant. Great preachers rise up and say, you can't lose your salvation. They rise up and say, look, you're always going to be a sinner. You can never leave your sin. They're saying that what Paul is saying is impossible. Now, are you going to listen to them, or are you going to listen to the scriptures? Read First John, the third chapter again. Read Romans, the sixth chapter again. Until you're delivered from the law and you're walking in Jesus, the pride has gone. The pride has gone. The arrogance is no longer part of your life. You've humbled your heart before Almighty God. You're not lying or cheating. You're walking clean before God. You're walking in Jesus Christ. Just because someone says, I'm in Jesus, doesn't mean they're in Jesus. They can be utterly and completely deceived and say, I'm in Jesus. I'm on my way to heaven. No, no. What do your works look like? How do you treat your children? How do you treat your wife? What do you do at work? Are you consumed with money? Are you consumed with stuff? Are you consumed with this world and its culture? Or are you utterly, totally given to the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Do you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or do you seek first the kingdom of this world and your lifestyle? Do you seek first this kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness? Do you seek first money? Recognition? What then will we say? The law is sin? Oh no, certainly not. But I did not know sin except through the law, for I had not known lust, except the law was saying, you shall not lust. So in other words, the law comes and it points out things to us and it says, look, this is what you're doing. Your heart is filled with lust for, for money and power and sex. You're Your head is filled with wicked thoughts and pornography. You're unclean. And the modern church says, Ah, no. As one pastor said to a a crack addict, Don't worry about the crack. God doesn't care about that. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. Don't worry about that stuff. No, he'd never died. He was never born from above. He was a part of a culture. He was part of a denominational culture. And this preacher was lying to him. Just as Satan lied to Eve in the garden, today Satan comes in the mouths of well-dressed, finely educated men and women who stand up in front and say, don't worry about your sin, you're saved. Do you understand Jesus came to die for my sin and yours? Sin is very much on God's mind. Notice verse 9. Now I once used to live apart from the law, but the commandment having come, sin revived and I died. And the liberty of the glory of the children of God 
Now we know that every creature groans together and travails together until now. And not only they, but also ourselves, having the foretaste of the Spirit, even we ourselves within ourselves, groan, eagerly awaiting sonship, the redemption of our body. For in the hope of the resurrection we were saved. But hope being seen is not hope. For what one sees, they he, he does not hope for. But if we hope for what we see not, with patience we eagerly wait. Now, carefully listen to what I'm going to share with you. Now, in like manner, the Spirit takes a hold with us against our weakness. We know not what thing we might pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself meets with us in our behalf with unutterable groanings, so the one searching the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, so that in accordance with God he pleads in behalf of the Holy Ones. Now we know that all things work together for good for the ones loving God. Chapter 8 is the normal life of the Christian. But chapter 7 is where we get in trouble. Let me read this for you. Now, Paul is not carnal. He is saved. And many Christian pastors as well do not understand what I'm going to say to you, and it is an utter deception. It is a lie from hell. It is the final lie. Let me just read. For we know, this is Romans seven fourteen. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, having been sold unto sin. Now he's speaking about himself before he was saved. He's speaking about himself as a Jewish man who can live an outwardly perfect life, but inwardly he is a wicked man and he knows it. For what I work out, I do not understand. For what I do not will, this I practice. But what I hate, this I do. But if what I do not will, this I do, I agree with the law that it is right. But now it is no longer I that work it out, but the sin dwelling in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my unregenerate nature, nothing good dwells. For to will is present to me, but to work out what is right I find not. For I do not the good that I wish, but the evil that I wish not, this I practice. But if what I wish not This I do, I am no longer working it out, but sin dwelling in me. Really, I find the law reveals to me, the one wishing to do right, that evil is present with me. For I delight in the law according to the inner man, but I see a different law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and capturing me by the law of sin. Notice, I want you to notice that. He's captured by the law of sin. Now, please hear me. The law of sin must be broken in your life if you are to be saved. Let me say it again. The law of sin must be broken in your life if you are to be saved. And if anyone tells you that the law of sin cannot be broken in your life, he is deceiving you. He is lying to you. Now, I've been a pastor for a long time. I've sat in many sermons and many classes, both from grad school on 
through pastor education. Men twist themselves into every kind of knot so as to justify the sin that lives in their heart, pretending that they cannot deal with that sin. And it is in part true. The human heart cannot expel sin. It is a divine work of God. It is a gift of grace through the blood of Jesus. But I want to come back. I am so desperately concerned today about the sin that lives like a, a, a parasite in our, in our guts, like a, a worm in our heart. Sin dwelling in us is not normal. It is not natural. It is opposed to the grace of God. It stands in opposition to the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can paint it any way you want to paint it. But if what you say allows the sin to continue to dwell in you, you are hell-bound. We all know what happened to Adam and Eve. They listened to the serpent. They agreed with the serpent, and they acted on that agreement. And every evil thing flooded into their lives, including their loss of their home and the murder of their son. And a world plunged into violence and every wickedness. And today, we live in a world plagued with crime, with violence, with cheating and lying and theft. We live in a world of self-righteous men and women who believe that they're fine just the way they are. But in the inner being of that person, that worm, that, that parasite of sin is eating away the very life until they pass. And then they ask me to do the funeral. And the family says, but pastor, dad was a very good man. He loved all of us. Well, many pagan fathers love their families. That doesn't prove that you're a righteous man. Well, well, please preach that daddy went to heaven. Well, no, I can't because your daddy was not a righteous man. He still walked in wickedness before God. Are you sure you want me to do the funeral? Because when I preach a funeral sermon, I tell the truth. Somebody better tell the truth. Let me continue. He then comes to I see a different law in my members warring against the law of my mind and capturing me by the law of sin being in my members. A distressed and that is an utterly upset man, I am. I'm wanting you to become utterly upset and distressed and panicked by the worm of sin that lives in you, if such be the case. And you know if it's the case. You can hide, you can be deceived, you can, but you, bottom line, know. Are you still walking in the life of your own, or are you walking in Jesus Christ? A distressed man I am. Who will deliver me out from the body of this death? Sin is death. And if you don't deal with this issue, 
The day is going to come when you find yourself in hell, probably with your preacher who taught you this. And you're going to say to him, why didn't you tell me the truth? You sent me here. But you're responsible for the truth before God because the scriptures are all here for you to read. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, deliverance can come to you from all sin through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself, indeed with the mind, serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. As a man distressed, as a man not saved. Now, chapter 8 is also not separated. Let's continue reading. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to the ones in Christ Jesus, not walking around according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, the law of sin and death is broken by the blood of Jesus Christ for the man or the woman who will cry out to God that the old man of sin would be removed from their hearts. But that is going to require you being on your face and being distressed and crying out to God about your condition and not being satisfied with it, not being willing to paper over the wickedness of your heart and pretend that you're good to go when you know in your inner being you are not good to go. I can't think of anything more important to talk to you about today than dealing with your sin. Some of you have been convicted, and then you've turned and gone back in the same direction you were going before. The lust for that man or the lust for that woman, the lust for money, the lust for accomplishment and education. It has torn you away from the side of Jesus. And now you spend your time living an American life. Not walking in Jesus. But walking in flesh. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. For the inability of the law, in that it was weak by means of the flesh, God having sent his own Son in the similarity of flesh with reference to sin and concerning sin, he brought down judgment upon sin while in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fulfilled in us, the ones not walking around according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." I want you to understand this. Because you said, I received Jesus Christ, does not allow you to continue to walk around according to the lust of your heart. Because you have been told by a preacher that you're saved, does not mean that you are saved. If you are still walking around in the lust of your heart, in the pride of your heart. If you have not yet dealt honestly and seriously with the inner worm of sin, if you have not come to terms with the necessity of your being crucified with Christ, if you've not come to terms yet with the utter depravity of your own heart. You can dress it up in religion. You can dress it up in in outward shows of love and compassion. But you know the inner heart of your mind and your body. You know whether you are still under the law, whether you know in your heart you are condemned before God. 
the wrath of God will remain on you. The wrath of God is on America today. We are seeing the unraveling of our whole financial system. We're seeing there will soon be serious shortages across Europe and America for food and shelter and heat for the coming winter. We see a breakdown by design, by the one world government, by the beast power of revelation that is arising. And we have to come to terms with that. Who do we serve? It is not sufficient for you to say, oh, I serve Jesus. But the worm of sin is still in your heart. You're going to have to do some very serious confession. You're going to have to do some very serious weeping before God. There's no one quite so deceived as a religious man. There's no one quite so deceived as a man who believes he's loved by God in spite of his sin, that God will just have to deal with me the way I am. I'm, I'm doing the best I can do, Pastor. No, you've got to be crucified. You've got to die. You've got to give up your life. But you want your life. You want your beautiful car and your beautiful house and your beautiful lifestyle. You, you want, you want, you want. And your time and energy are focused on making sure you have the things that you want. No. Do you want Jesus? Do you want life eternal? Then you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to turn aside from that pride of heart, that anger, that bitterness, that fear, that depression. You're going to have to stop trying to do it yourself and give up and turn to Jesus. Some of you have been trying from the time you were born to be a good person. You have struggled to get an education. You've struggled to solve the problems that you faced. I used to say I'm like a cat with nine lives. I always land on my feet. Well, you know what? I don't land on my feet anymore. I land on my face before Almighty God. I recognize that I cannot bring to pass that which I need in my heart, which is fellowship with Jesus. Let me read. This is Romans, the eighth chapter. Verse four, in order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fulfilled in us, the ones not walking around according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, the requirements of the law must all be met in our lives. Jesus' death on the cross did not excuse you from holiness. You are going to have to be holy if you are going to enter the kingdom of God. No one will see heaven without being holy. The difference is the law was external and it came at us externally to try to force obedience. The change is that Jesus now comes and dwells in us and his blood cleanses us, removes the old man of sin, and makes us into a new creature who is not in opposition to his law. So the Christian, by the power of the blood, obeys the commands of God. One of the ways you can tell whether you have been born from above or whether you are still walking in sin is when temptation comes, do you have the power to say no to that temptation? If you have the power to say no to that and you walk clean in Jesus, it is the power of God working in you. 
If, however, you fall time after time to those temptations, if you were ever born from above, you are no longer, you have rebuilt what the Holy Spirit removed, and you have given yourself once more to darkness, and you're going to have to go back to Jesus. For the one being according to the flesh mind, the things of the flesh, but the one according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Since the mind of flesh is in enmity or hatred against God, Indeed, it is not subject to the law of God, neither is it possible. In fact, the ones being in the flesh are not able to please God. I'm very concerned about the issue of sin. If you were to ask me, what is the number one concern in your heart? I would say, sin. What's the number one concern, Pastor, for the people in your congregation? Sin. What's the number one concern, Pastor, for the people who listen to the YouTube and to the radio? Sin. Sin is the issue. It was the issue in the Garden of Eden, and it's the issue now as we come to the final days of Earth's history. Sin says, I can do it myself. I'm in charge of my own life. I can make my own choices and decisions. I can choose Jesus now, and I can choose the devil later. I'm in charge of me. The scriptures say that that's the mind of flesh, and it's death, and you will die. I want you to repent. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to go to hell. God loves you. God offers this magnanimous gift of grace, which is God's incredible love for you and for me. But if you do not accept that gift by being washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus, he will send you to hell. Well, we're just about out of time today. I'm going to be leaving town on the 12th of this month. That is next Monday, and I'll be gone for about 10 days. My wife and I are going to go to a little place in Amish country for a time of rest and scripture and prayer. I'll be praying for you. I'll be crying out to God for you who listen. I pray that you will continue to give and support the radio this month. I thank you for last month. I praise God that it's covered. You're also welcome to come this Sunday. I'll be preaching at the National Prayer Chapel. You're welcome to come. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. And... Tomorrow is a day of prayer. I invite you to call and pray with me. It'll be a serious time of prayer. A time of blessing. A time of searching after Jesus. God bless you, my brothers and my sisters. I love you. Thank you for your notes to me. 